0: the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our strength, our courage, our hope, and our Redeemer. Amen. For about 15 years, I have been very public in telling people, and uh don't know why I should shy away this morning, but telling people that I learned to preach at the feet of Martha Stern, and so it is a privilege to be at her feet again and to hear those words that she spoke with us, shared with us all at the beginning of the service. I actually need to offer a correction. Uh, it's it's not that I just learned to be the a to preach at the feet of Martha Stern. Uh, I also learned, I realized at the first service, I learned how to be a priest at the feet of Martha Stern. And so it's a delight to come from California and to sit at her feet and and not really sitting at your feet, sort of standing here, but uh, to be at your feet and in your community uh, with my colleague, Rebecca Edwards, uh, who co-founded and co-directs Braid Mission with, alongside of me in San Francisco. Uh, i 've been given the privilege of this morning of uh, discussing this um, this passage of jesus 's in the Gospel where he invites us to consider earthquakes and floods and famine and disease and to dis- try and find the marks for the end times and he, he doesn 't just stop with these this passage that Tim reads. For us uh, just a moment ago. It's a whole chapter of what is what are the marks of the end times. And uh, these chapters have confused the church throughout, well, from its beginning, I think, Martha. Um, I think it confused the disciples. I think it confused the early church. I know it certainly confuses me, and I don't know if it confuses you, but uh living in California. I have experienced any number of earthquakes. I've discovered and experienced floods. I've uh, thrown some wildfires. Uh, I can't say famine, but certainly a lot of dis-ease. And um, I'm not sure that those are the marks of uh, the end times that Jesus was speaking about. Uh, however, however, I do need to, I think, remind and invite all of us to consider that earthquakes and floods... And famine and disease uh, are, do not need to be just external events or geographic or geological events. Now, I've, I've just met you all, and uh, but I'm willing to guess, without having had the, the opportunity to have one-on-one conversations with you, I'm willing to guess that most of us in our lives have experienced earthquakes. That we have experienced those moments in our lives where perhaps relationships that we so treasure and love have dissolved, and it felt as though the earth had opened up and we had fallen in. I'm going to imagine that there are those among us who have experienced discrimination, have experienced bullying, have experienced violence, and in that experience, And in those experiences of being just who they are because of just who they are, have felt as though they were drowning and there was no one to save them. I have to imagine that there are those among us who have experienced economic fissures and upheavals that have left us without employment and wondering what our value was and how we were going to take care of those who were entrusted to us. And it felt as though we were were starving for something. I'm going to imagine there are those among us who have watched the results of this past week as a nation and watched the reactions to that election on Tuesday and have begun to wonder, what is that dis-ease that lies within our community? And when we experience those things in our lives, does it not feel sometimes as though the world has come to an end? Does it not feel that... We are all lost, that there's hopelessness, that we are drowning. And sometimes we just pray to God, God, make it all end. Rebecca and I work with a population that we have defined as or categorized as foster youth. And there may be those of you who spent time in the foster system here this morning. There may be those of you who have been involved in the system, those of you who have been placements or foster parents. And please know that I do not speak for every foster child or parent in the system. But the children and the youth that we engage in San Francisco and in the Bay Area our children who have experienced that earthquake of being removed from their families removed from all that is familiar removed from all the, from their neighborhood and it feels like an earthquake and they, indeed the world does open up and swallow them and we could give you story after story after story and there's one that I want to share this morning that just briefly, a, a nine-year-old who we went to talk to about our program of putting mentors around him and with him. And we sat in his, listen, nine years old great, great grandmother's living room. And chaos was all around us. And as we talked to him about mentors who would come and just spend some time with him because they cared About him. He turned and he looked me in the eye and he said, Chris, I find that hard to believe because there's no one on this world, in this world, that cares about me at nine years old. That earthquake that he experienced in being removed from his family, from his neighborhood, from his surroundings, it continued aftershock after aftershock after aftershock. So at nine years old, he was that wounded. Now, I, I'm, I'm not an expert in earthquakes, but I watch enough TV, as you all do, and I, I see when Katrina rolls through or um, earthquakes happen in Italy. The, the response usually is there are first responders who go into the, to, to the scene, to the site, and, and the Red Cross um, and those who have the expertise in order to stabilize the situation. But I, I think you would all agree with me that if we, it was just left to the first responders to the Red Cross, we would lose any number of communities in this world. And what we what it, what happens after those first responders is you get a second wave of people who come in, and you get a third wave of people who come in. Just speaking to someone in Haiti around the floods, who was talking about the fourth wave, of help to come in. And those people come and they help rebuild and they form communities and relationships and they help reconstruct the community lost and they, st- along with homes and, and cathedrals and, and churches and shops and. Well, foster care has some great first responders, social workers and case managers, people who s- dedicate their lives to these children and, and do not get a lot of pay or recompenses for their efforts. And there are great agencies that form a second wave and come in and provide services of one sort or another. And yet, as Rebecca looked and I looked at the the statistics around foster youth, we we began to know that and to feel that it, it wasn't enough. 50% of foster youth, now we're talking three quarters of a million young people in our nation, 50% of foster youth will experience homelessness and destitution after they turn 18. And actually, if you back that up and you take microcosms and you take the LGBTQ population, those ages start much earlier in the mid-teens. 30 to 40% of foster youth will experience incarceration. 30 to 40% of women, young girls in, in foster care will experience being trafficked and be placed in lives of prostitution. Only 3% of the foster youth community goes to college. It's the lowest demographic in this country, save for Native Americans, First Peoples. Three percent of foster youth go to college in this country. And as we looked at those statistics, we had to believe there needed to be a third and a fourth wave of response to the, to the trauma, to the earthquakes, to the floods, to, the, to, to this disease. And so, as we considered and saw that these children were lost lost sheep among us. We went to the one institution that we knew was in the business of looking for lost sheep, and that is the church. And I can't speak for what goes on here in Atlanta, but as we looked for an Episcopal church who we could kindly, actually, to be honest with you, to write a check to, to help stave off this disaster... In the state of California, we could not find an Episcopal church doing anything with this population. There was no church sitting at the table with foster youth. And so what so often happens when you recognize something and you say that stupid prayer, well, God, who's taking care of this? And the answer is you. We knew we had to well, we knew we had to do something. The Holy Spirit laid on us and pushed us out the parish door where we were very happy and to find a way to invite us all to be a third and a fourth wave for these youth. And Bray does that by forming community by putting three mentors with each youth and allowing a community. Now remember, we send and build, rebuild communities in New Orleans and rebuild communities in New York and rebuild communities in Haiti. Three mentors who will go and rebuild community around this young person and just hold them. And here's the remarkable thing that we discovered in our work. Remarkable. And I need, if you don't remember anything else about me, please hear this. That the disciples of Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ is remarkably well-trained for this work. Now hear this. I can't, this is a statistic that I just, I still can't believe. But studies have shown that if you want to change the trajectory of a young person's life, you need to ensure that they have a caring adult present in their lives for one hour a week. Now hear that. First of all, think of all the hours in your week. Think about the hours we spent this morning doing what? For a child, for a youth to have their life changed, transformed, resurrected, it requires the presence of a caring adult for one hour a week. The flip side of that is think of how many children don't have a caring adult in their lives for one hour a week. So as we've thought about putting those adults in the lives of these children, we we came to this recognition. When you experience an earthquake in your life, when I experience an earthquake in my life, when my relationships for which I have immense value dissolve, And I feel as though the earth has opened up underneath me. When I have experienced bullying or discrimination for just being who I am, and I feel like the floodwaters are over the top of me, if you've experienced economic injustice and you've woken up in the morning and wondered who and what and how you were going to be, if you have had that experience of dis-ease deep inside your soul, My guess is you come here one hour a week. The people of God gather when they have experienced earthquakes and floods and famines and disease for one hour a week. And they are reminded week in and week out at this altar that Jesus Christ was in the earthquake. Jesus Christ is in their lives. Jesus Christ will be there for them in the future. We come here one hour a week and are reminded that there is no earthquake. There is no flood. There is no famine. There is no dis-ease. There is no election. There is no principality. There is no power. There is no throne that can separate us from the love of God. And if we have been trained in that week in and week out and we find refuge in sanctuary here week in and week out, I'm not a mathematician, but you who are algebra people help me. I've got one hour a week of people who are trained to have that, carry that message of God's love and that God's presence and God's sanctuary, and we have a population who need an hour a week of hearing of God's love and God's refuge and sanctuary, and they seem to go together. Is that not a balanced equation? I don't know. I'm not a mathematician. We experienced an earthquake in this nation this week. And what we've learned is there are a lot of hurting people out there. And what I am reminded and what Rebecca has been reminded of is that God claimed us. God named us. God holds us when we're in need. And we don't do that just to sit on our hands. Because since Tuesday, there have been several thousand children in this country who have experienced the earthquake of being removed from their families and their neighborhoods and their communities and placed in a foster system. And every single one of them is looking for a hand to help hold them and lift them out of that ditch. Who will you send, Lord? Amen.